When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Tuck Lamar East, Nathan Baird, Stephen Meanger, Cleveland.com, Ohio State coverage team. If you came out to the pre-game tailgate before Penn State, and about 15 or 20 of you did, thanks for stopping by. A pastor from Georgia, definitely at least three people from Florida, uh, some people from around here. A lovely time was had by all. I bought eight dozen donuts. I think we ate about three dozen donuts, which means this week I myself must eat five dozen donuts. That means by this time next week there will be three diabetic members of this podcast instead of just one. Yeah, that's my plan to make. I can't stop myself from being diabetic, but I can make both of you join me there. Right. All right. Listen, we got 104 questions from you guys. Post game podcast 2817 Ohio State. Beats Penn State to move to 11 and 0. These are your Big East, your Big Ten East division, not your Big East. You said Big East on the video as well. Did I for real? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They beat Georgetown. They beat Providence. (laughs) They beat St. John's. They're the Big East champions, the Big Ten East division champions. So they are going to Indianapolis. Book your tickets for Indy. Although if they lose to Michigan and go to Indy, then you'll kind of be going sad. Um, But they're going no matter what. We have a lot of things trying to figure out, like what exactly did this game mean from the 216 did Penn State give the Bucks a game or was it really that the Buckeyes kept shooting themselves in the foot that third quarter uh, I'm convinced that this game is was never in doubt if they don't fumble on the goal line and even if their two other turnovers don't happen deep in Ohio State territory again to double check for you guys final total offensive yards 417 to 227 Ohio State ran 83 plays. Penn State ran 65. Ohio State averaged 5 yards per play. Penn State averaged 3.5. Nathan, did Penn State give them a game? Well, Penn State was in position to both force or help force some of those mistakes and turnovers and better capitalize on them than maybe any team on this schedule. But I think if you were to go ask Penn State, and you can hear, or sorry, if you go ask Ohio State, and we did because Ryan Day was talking after the game. Players are talking after the game. They definitely feel like they made mistakes that brought Penn State back into this game, and it looked like it could have been a real blowout. I mean, twenty-one to nothing. They're kind of running away with it. Um, give Penn State credit for making one drive, and then the two turnovers after that that really made this close. 
Um, so I, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but I, I agree with you. I think if Justin Fields goes in for that touchdown, if they don't make those turnovers late in and give and give Penn State short fields that Penn State was in, you know, has the talent to capitalize on those again better than any team that Purdue or Ohio State has played so far, um, then it's not a game. I think Penn State did a great job, regardless of whether or not whose fault it was while they turned the ball over. They turned the ball over, and Penn State took advantage of that, putting up 17 straight points. Like We can say if Justin Fields scores that touchdown, it's a different game. Yeah, you're 100% correct. But more importantly, if Ohio State doesn't get that stop and hold them to a field goal, it's a 21-21 game. So, like, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Ohio State's offense turned the ball over a little bit, and the defense kind of bailed it out at some points. But Penn State did a great job of taking advantage of some of those t- Basically doing what Ohio State's offense did for the first like ten weeks of the season, where like its defense would put its put its offense in great positions, and the offense would take advantage of it. Listen, so, someone someone I think tweeted it to, this to me after the game. It was like the game wasn't close; it was only close on the scoreboard. And it was like, well, <laughs> no, um, that makes sense. Like I think the scoreboard is the one that matters. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. It was 21 to 14 and Penn State had the ball first and 10 at the Ohio State 11 yard line. They were 11 yards away from a game tying touchdown with five minutes left in the third quarter. So yeah, Penn State gave him a game. I'm going to, I am going to do it. I know you know, you think I won't do it. I'm going to do it. If ifs and buts were candy (laughs) and nuts. And this despite the fact that we are recording not in Gene Smith's AD suite, but in the lousy booth next to it where only coaches sit. And the guy cleaning out the AD suite threw away the jelly beans. So you're not getting your ifs so and butts. I'm, I'm not yeah, getting if, candies if, or nuts. If ifs and butts were jelly beans and smokehouse almonds. I did yeah. bring a bag of smokehouse, smokehouse almonds. I know Buckeye Brad and at least a couple other people ate some smokehouse almonds today. By the way, I did note someone on Twitter said, I look like I eat 400 smokehouse almonds a day. And I didn't know if that was like a weird compliment or an insult. And I said, is that an insult? And they were like, Doug, we love you. But if someone says, you look like you eat 400 almonds a day, I don't know how to take that. I thought it was a game. And the the thing is, yes, but turnovers change games all the time. And these were not like goofball passes hit guys in the head. This was Ohio State's best players. The two players on their team who handled the ball the most. The two most important members of the offense lost three fumbles. And those fumbles turned the game by 17 points. The first Justin Fields fumble cost Ohio State seven. The J.K. Dobbins fumble gave Penn State seven, and the second Justin Fields fumble gave Penn State three. Yes, this was a game. You can't just, like, eliminate game-changing plays. Penn State was good enough to sort of force those plays. They ripped the ball out of Justin Fields on his second turnover. That guy diving at the ball at the goal line, most Big Ten teams, Justin Fields dives in there unopposed. Penn State had a dude diving at him and knocking the ball free. Michael Parsons is making plays in the middle of the field. So, yeah, the yardage was a huge edge, but I absolutely think this was a game. And if you're going to, like, blow this off as, like, oh, well, turnovers, like, this is what happens all the time in this league. And I don't think it means they're going to fumble three times against Michigan, 
But man, when your best players put it on the ground, like you don't get excused for that. But yeah, I don't think I don't think you dismiss this game because Ohio State committed turnovers. I think it you you look at it as oh, this team is more maybe prone to some of those mistakes <coughs> than we've seen in the past when they play a team at this caliber, and they're going to have to go up against a team of this caliber again and not make those mistakes and prove it. I mean, beyond being 21-14 and first and goal, it was 21-17, and Ohio State punted at midfield. Yeah. yeah. So it's 21-17, and Penn State's got the ball. Now then Chase Young makes the, the, the 10-yard tackle for loss. Um, Zach Harrison makes the, the tackle on third down, um, and, and then they it kind of goes from there. And then you've got some role players stepping up. I thought maybe today was also a good example, though, of to really be a championship team, it, it isn't going to be your stars all the time. Sometimes your stars will falter, and you'll have people like Jay Sean Cornell step up and make a big play. You'll have someone like Justin Hilliard step up and make a big play. I think they were, um, uh, you know, Robert Landers was really big early on with the pressure he was getting and the penetration he was getting on the interior of the defensive line. Just Baron Browning, as you mentioned, like there were just, there were a handful of players who aren't like frontline stars, headline stars, who were making crucial plays in this game. And I will say it certainly helped Ohio State's case that, as you mentioned, after Ohio State was forced to punt, leading only 21-17, Penn State first and, ele- first and 10 from its own 11, the quarterback dropped the snap. Like Chase Young got great pressure on that, was going to get great pressure anyway. You know, I don't know that Shea Pat, the backup quarterback, dropped the snap. That's who you were, who Ohio State was going against at that point. They weren't going against Shea Patterson or Jalen Hurts or Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow or the type of guy that they're going to face from here on out. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, maybe. So that's just one of those things like all the ifs and buts I think that you would use to excuse Ohio State. Penn State had some ifs and buts as well, and this was still a game into the fourth quarter. So I think that's important to keep in mind. I also think that, you know, if it underscores maybe why Ohio State could ultimately be a national championship team, though, because on the day that their offense played, I think unquestionably its most unsteady game of the season in any number of ways, partially because they were playing a really, really good defense, their their defense at the end of the day is something that they can rely on ultimately. I mean, a, Penn State score, a good Penn State team scored on two short fields, um, but then, as you said, the defense steps up again in another, you know, goal line situation, holds them to three points there when, you know, everything is still at stake, um, and then makes huge plays down the stretch when the offense was still kind of having a very um, iffy day, I thought. Uh, th- this defense is ultimately the reason, I think, why Ohio State wins a national championship or doesn't. Yeah, last year, I think the Maryland game is a prime example of this, where the, the offense kind of bailed the defense out time and time again. The defense could not get a stop. You know, Dwayne Haskins and that offense continued to put up points, and in the end, they were able to pull out a win. Today, it was the exact opposite, where, like, the defense got these key stops at key moments, and any time the, the offense made a mistake. Uh, and I want to get to a question specifically about that because a lot of you guys are sort of asking about that kind of thing. But first, from the 574, has everybody's heart started beating, beating again after Justin Fields got hurt? <laughs> that was a weird ending. And we were kind of talking about it again. The end of the game, as you guys know, a lot of us have our heads down. We're finishing our stories. The three of us always file stories that go up immediately as a game ends. Steven was already heading down to the field um, to, to get down on the field, to get ready for post-game interviews. He was like hearing people groan. He didn't even see the play to know what was going on. It's a fourth and four. They call a pass. Ryan Day said he would have liked Justin Fields to throw it away there. Um, that is the risk, though, here. And I think that is part of what we're going to get to with the next question. But 
when you have Justin Fields drop back on a fourth and four with a minute and a half left, and you're really just trying to run out the clock, and basically nothing that happens there is going to affect the game, Penn State's not going to win, no matter what happens. Unless you hand the ball to a Penn State guy and let him run in for a touchdown, even if you did that, Penn State would have to onside kick, recover it, and score again. But Justin Fields, Ryan Day wanted him to throw it away when it wasn't there. Justin Fields is not going to throw it away. We joked earlier in the year, Ryan Day early in the year said, I love it. My favorite play of the game was when Justin Fields threw it away. That's why he was saying stuff like that. Because in this situation, Justin Fields was trying to make a play and put himself in a situation to get hurt. Now, it seems like he's okay. Ryan Day said he's good. But he never should have been in that situation. And I'm not so sure that Ryan Day by this point shouldn't know that. Shouldn't know I have a quarterback who can't help himself and I love it in him. But do something other than call a drop back pass there. Hand it off to J.K. Dobbins again. Don't give Justin Fields a chance to scramble and take one more shot and then land on the football or whatever happened. I blame. I don't know that there's blame there, but man... If, if you're telling Justin Fields to throw it away, you know he's not going to. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know why that is still such a – I thought there were a couple of plays earlier in the game too where he, he stood in there way too long. There was The, the great example was when he, he did a really nice job kind of sidestepping a sack and then had to have felt, I would assume, that there were like two other guys right on his back and yet still didn't just throw it away or, or break out of the pocket, something. I mean, easy easy for me to say sitting up here, but I thought that was another example of where the, the, the click just isn't happening quite fast enough sometimes, especially as far as just wasting one, getting it out. That's like the next step in his maturity into a truly elite quarterback. Do you think, and this is not the question I was saying we're going to get to, but we'll get to it in a second. From the 6-5-0, do you think the coaching staff doesn't trust Justin Fields to air it out in cold weather yet with snow and rain in the forecast for next weekend? which is news to me. I have not looked at the forecast yet for next weekend. I think we might see the same ground-and-pound approach against Michigan, but will it be as effective against their defense? J.K. Dobbins, 35 carries for 150 yards today. You know, he threw a 20-yard-plus touchdown to Olave in the end zone. He threw a 20-yard-plus touchdown to K.J. Hill in the end zone. I mean, if we're waiting in November for Justin Justin Fields to be throwing 60-yard bombs, I mean, I think we're going to be waiting for a long time. I didn't have a problem with them not throwing the ball down the field more in this situation against this team. And guess what? Ground and pound worked. Well, don't forget the they took a deep shot to Chris Olave earlier in the game, too, that um, was nearly a nice touchdown catch in the end zone. And they had another deep shot early on that was underthrown, and Chris Olave had to make a play on the ball to keep it from being an interception. That might have been the one. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, they were taking shots downfield. I think, you know, I was going to give Ryan Day some credit here. I know that fans... I think anytime they see a coach coming out and being conservative with it, and then the game ends up being close. Well, hold on a second. Hold on. Let me interrupt you because that's what I want to get okay. to. Okay. From the 618, Luke in the 901. That's very confusing. Your area code is 618, <laughs> but you're in the 901? Maybe he's standing in the 901 at the time he texted with his 618. So many people do that, though, now, right? You keep your cell phone. Area codes are irrelevant. Right. Yeah, they are, actually. So you're still a 618, Luke. But you're in the 901. That's very I, 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 Luke. I'm just gonna have to say that you're in the 618. As long as your area code is 618, your heart's in the 618. Maybe your body's in the 901. I think you need to grapple with this, Luke. Did it seem that Ryan Day's play calling was too conservative? I counted at least three separate times where they ran it three straight downs when the game was tight and they had to punt. 
You guys talked at length about how Penn State's secondary was their weakness. The running game was great, but up and down. I feel like we could have slung the ball around more and put them away in the second half. Overall, I'm glad Ohio State was challenged. I think they needed that. So, you're making a point about yeah. there are certainly a, a, a group of Ohio State fans, more than just Luke, who feel like Ryan Day did get conservative. And I, I, I will agree that there were some times where I thought, maybe especially in goal line situations, why aren't you maybe utilizing the tight ends a little bit more there? You've got guys like Rashad Berry who seem like they are maybe like perfectly um, fit for, for doing something like that. Um, but at the same time, again, I think this comes back to what I was saying earlier about how the, the national championship, if Ohio State can win one this year, is going to be built on this defense. And I think that ultimately he feels he can be conservative because of how strong this defense is. At the end of the day, he trusts this defense to keep giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And there were times in this game where, yes, they ran the ball like two, three, four times in a row with J.K. Dobbins, and then he springs a big one. I'm trying to, I'm thinking one, I think it was when they went in for the touchdown to go up 28 to 17. Um, he had a big one in the middle of that that really kind of opened up that drive. At the end of the day, I think that's what it is. I think he knows if, if this defense were not as strong, I think he would take more chances. But he knows that this defense is so darn near impenetrable at times for now any number of various offenses that we've seen over the course of 11 games that he's always going – it's going to keep giving them opportunity after opportunity. He doesn't have to go get it every single time. No, he doesn't. But I think they pulled a lot out in the last two weeks of things that maybe we can expect against more talented teams just because it was a great week to try to feel it out and see if it works and see what doesn't work. The deep ball to Chris Olave works. I think J.K. Dobbins running the ball 36 times I don't think is like sustainable. You're not going to be able to do that and win a national championship game. Well, but uh, I mean, you can win a national championship game like that. I don't sure. think you can because, like, we've seen, like you've got to be the vertical passing. It has to be there a lot more than just twenty-two passes. Okay, so first of all, the one thing is, um, all their playoff games are in a dome, so it will be perfect weather, yeah. and they will not be dealing with this. They go at Michigan next week, and then their last three games will be in a dome. So that is one thing you must take the weather into account. It did start raining a little bit in the second half. Um, like I just ran through just reading in my head um, all these questions. Almost so many of the questions were about the play calling, but this is part of it, and I think we have to acknowledge this from the 859. I am suddenly very worried about our pass protection. Is that stupid? I think that was a component of it today. I think Ryan Day was a little worried about their pass protection. I also think he used the word hectic. And then I used hectic back in a question back to him, and he said hectic again. I actually very much enjoy the adjective hectic. I feel like that is an East Coast adjective. My mom uses the adjective hectic a lot. Oh, I think I'm that could not... be a Midwest word, too. Really? Yeah. If you use the word... So anyway, I know... Like, when he said that, you know what he meant, right? Like, it just felt a little... Eh. Yeah. And I think when he felt that on the sideline, he didn't exactly believe in the pass protection... I think he thought to himself, if I let Justin keep throwing it, I'm a little worried Justin is going to take a risk that I don't really want us to take. I believe in our defense. I believe in our run game. So I understand the concern, but I'm writing this for the morning because I'm, I'm excited to write it. Ryan Day channeled both Urban Meyer and Jim Tressel today. And through his first 10 games this season, and really through the three games last year, Ryan Day, almost every time he's been a head coach so far, has been able to go for broke, has been able to do whatever he wanted, has been able to be aggressive. And today, I think, was the first time he really had to say, we just have to do whatever it takes to win. And this is what it took. 
And why wouldn't you rely on J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young, even if it's not perfect? It worked. So I would not extrapolate too much for the future of like, oh, no, this happened today. Is this going to catch up to us later? I think the pass protection was a big part of it, though. The 859 questioner asking, should they be worried? Should people be a little worried about this pass protection right now? I think maybe a little bit worried is fair. I will say, though, one thing to remember is, so they got to get through next week, and then you got to get the Big Ten Championship game, and then you do get a little bit of a, I don't want to say a break, but there there are some guys on this offensive line who have been banged up over the course of the season, whether that's Thayer Munford, whether that is uh, Brandon Bowen, whether that's some of the other guys. I think this late in the season, I think that may start to become a bit of an issue, and I think a little bit of a break before the playoff, assuming Ohio State now goes on and qualifies for the playoff or, or is, is invited to the playoff, which we think they will be. I think that, that those extra that extra week or whatever it's going to be, I think could be really important for this offensive line. I think it is a problem, especially like if, if things pan out the way we think they're going to, they may pan out, you're eventually going to play a team that's got a stout defensive line who's going to be able to exploit those to that to, to that fact of like they're they, they just did play one of those teams. yeah they did but now they're gonna like one who's like just had three guys be NFL draft picks last draft I think Thayer Mumford wasn't great today and like to to the point of the pass protection that's where a lot of that heat was coming from that left side I, I think Thayer Munford for portions of this season still looks hurt yes. yeah he had back surgery in the offseason I just think he looks a little stiff like he doesn't maybe get out on the edge rushers quite like he did last year. I think there are times he looks a little off balance. Um, he's reaching for guys, I think, sometimes. I think every now and then he'll get a penalty maybe because he's trying to get, you know, you get a false start because you're trying to get a little quicker because maybe you don't believe in yourself. And again, this guy I think had a pretty serious su- surgery. We know he had surgery. We don't know the exact extent of it. But anytime you start messing around with your back, that's a serious thing. That's a big guy yeah, who's pounds. dealing with that stuff. And, and I don't know what the solution is. Josh Allaby has been hurt for a lot of the year. You know, Thayer Munford didn't play in the Rose Bowl, and Josh Allaby played pretty well. I wonder if Josh Allaby had been, had been healthy the whole time. Would they be rolling him in for Thayer every now and then? I was just about to say, I don't really think it's – I don't worry about this whole offensive line, but that is the one spot that I do have some concern about just because what you're saying about Munford being banged up and then the beyond him, Allaby's banged up and – we know that the trust really isn't there as far as Nicholas Petit Frere yet from this coaching staff. No, it doesn't appear to be. They trust three tackles, and two of them are kind of hurt. Right. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's what they're dealing with right now. Um, it certainly hasn't killed them. It didn't kill them today. No. But but I think we all have to understand when that is a situation. This is an excellent team. We don't have to repeat all this. And I, there's a point I want to get to about that. But they're not going to be perfect 1 through 22 with all their starting spots. And if that's an area where they – he is a good player. He has been a good player. He doesn't look 100% like himself. And if the result is in the third or fourth quarter of a tight game, you're not going to drop back quite as much, I think that's, an, that's a reasonable tweak. Um, so I think all the questions you guys asked about being conservative, I didn't necessarily feel that because, I, again, and I want to write this – this happened so much in the Dream Trussell era. As long as you were up two scores, I think coaches get in that mindset. And I know, and I know you can point specifically, they're up 21-17. They hold them to the field goal and Ohio State gets the ball back and is pretty conservative and runs it and has to punt back. And when they punt that ball back, they could be giving up the lead if Penn State drives. But they're conservative there and they punt it back because they don't think their defense is going to give up a drive. 
Jeff Halfley said we were willing to give up some of these short things to Fryermuth and Hamler because we did not think they could march down the field on us. The coaches didn't well the coaches weren't worried about an 80-yard Penn State drive. So they were willing to put that on Penn State, and it turned out that they were right. So I, I don't I would not get caught up too much in what does a conservative second half mean for the future, because I think you have to appreciate at least a little bit doing whatever it took today. I want to say one last thing on pass protection, and it, it's a hashtag callback to something we were talking about a few minutes earlier, which is Mike Yurcich came into a, a, one of the Tuesday press conferences recently and said that pass protection is not just the offensive line. Sometimes Justin Fields has to help protect himself, and I think that is still a factor that, that's sometimes happening there. So all those times where you saw pressure or Fields taking a hit or, or Fields going down, some of those are he, he could handle those situations better too. Does Penn State win if their quarterback doesn't get hurt? This is from the 6-1-4. In my story right after the game, I compared this to some degree to 2015 when Michigan State, playing two backup quarterbacks uh, because Connor Cook was hurt, came in here and beat Ohio State in bad weather, 17-14. I actually thought the backup quarterback increased Penn State's chances of winning. Yeah, I thought he he brought a real spark. He played with – at a time when – when this game could have really folded and gone the other way on Penn State, um, a crucial juncture of this game, he came in, and I thought his hard-nosed play was kind of a spark to the rest of the team at that point. 19 attempts for 34 yards, 6 of 11 for 57 yards. But I think the difference for him was, I don't know how much of a runner Sean Clifford is versus what Levis was for them. And I think that's what the, those QB draws are, I think, where the difference was. And they were never... Levis doesn't throw it like Clifford, but the way they were throwing it with Clifford, they were not threatening Ohio State in a way um, that made you feel like the offense was dangerous. They weren't going to hit anything big with no. Clifford, and Levis was a better runner. Yeah, it was more like these like screen, like short screen passes that like were almost dangerous. Where like if it gets picked off, it might be a pick six. Yeah, no, it was dangerous for the Penn State offense. Some of the stuff, and Fryermuth, you know, they got some stuff, but I think Ohio State. Um, was happy with what they did with him. Yeah. He had, uh, let me look at that quick. He's definitely their most consistent threat, and then Hamler was okay. Frymuth, six catches, 40 yards. Hamler, three for 45. That's nine catches for 85 yards for the two best pass catchers for Penn State. Talking to Jeff Halfley, uh, defensive coordinator after the game, he was very happy with that. He thought they defended them well. You're not going to shut those guys out, but they didn't feel like they were ever really endangered by those guys. Montez from the 5-1-3, who stopped by the pregame tailgate. Self-inflicting errors by the offense caused this game to be closer than it really was. Do you still think the committee will rank the Buckeyes over LSU in this week's rankings? Also, you're a lot taller in person than I thought you were. <laughs> Thanks for the pregame donuts. <laughs> Thank you, Montez. Yeah. Long, yeah. long man's... Uh, I got a lot of long stuff. Um, what? What? Uh, what? What? Do you think I, – I, so I think a lot of this we, – we can keep talking about how all this stuff still matters for the rankings. So as we think about this, um, I had said during the week I think Ohio State will wind up ahead of LSU if they both win out. Like let's look at this as a committee member. They beat number eight. It was in Ohio Stadium. It was number eight. It's the highest ranked team Ohio State has beaten this year. Ohio State did lose the ball on three fumbles. I'm sure the committee doesn't love that. They're also going to note that Ohio State basically had a two-to-one yardage edge. Like, will the committee like this win? 
or ding them for this win? I think LSU stays at number one. And the reason why is, one, Ohio State won their top ten game at home while LSU's won theirs on the road. But also, like, the turnovers do matter. Because, may, like, th- there is maybe an argument to be made that if they don't turn the ball over, this game isn't as close as it is. You can make that argument. While with LSU, it's a road, it's a road game that they won where – Outside of like an end of the game, like Alabama deep pass, like other than that, LSU controlled that game. Yeah, the one thing that is still missing from Ohio State's resume, and it's not really much that they could necessarily do to control it this year, but because Nebraska turned out to be awful, uh, Northwestern was awful, Rutgers is awful, Wisconsin Indiana was right not very good here. at the time they played them. I'm just talking about the road games that they oh, had, okay. and then that's they, they have not they don't have on their resume some game where they went and beat a good team on the road, and LSU has done that. I would think that this week. It probably – now, we, we don't know yet. LSU plays Arkansas tonight, so we don't know the outcome of that game. Um, if LSU hammers Arkansas as expected, I would imagine they're still going to be number one Tuesday night. But I do think – I maybe and I think I said before, I think that Ohio State would go back to number one by beating Penn State. I think I agree with you guys. That I, I would imagine if LSU, if they win, will stay number one. I still think Ohio State, with the win at Michigan next week, goes back to number one because that's the win you're talking about, Nathan, on the road – against a ranked team. Michigan's going to be in the top 12 or whatever it is before that game. That will be, in many ways, their best win of the year because it's on the road against a ranked team. LSU's playing whoever next week. It's not going to be it's at Texas A&M, I guess. That's not going to be as good of a win as Michigan. I still think Ohio State will get past LSU after the Michigan win if they win. But then, again, it comes down to what's going to happen with the conference championship games. Yeah, I do think, though, Texas A&M is not bad. And if they end up sliding up into the rankings, which they were outside of the top 25 last week. But if they end up sliding into the rankings, that does become a win that the committee potentially values for LSU. And don't forget, LSU is on path to play a much more highly ranked team in the SEC championship game than Ohio State will play in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, I almost thought JT Barrett was behind center with the poor play calling on third down, lack of downfield passing, and conservative play calling. Are you surprised? Let's go to the third down percentage. Third down conversions. Ohio State was 7 of 13. So here's the thing. And, and, and I know that there's been some JT Barrett slander on this podcast in the past. Some of it by us. Some of it by you guys. Um, I joked about JT Barrett third down draw plays as much as anybody they worked they worked it was funny because they worked so they ran an empty set quarterback draw on fourth and five today josh myers said it was the first empty set qb draw they'd run the whole year they probably ran 50 of those with jt barrett in 2017 and it worked like a charm Josh Myers got an easy block. They knew it was going to work as soon as they got the defense spread out. This is going to be part of the Jim Tressel Urban Meyer story I'm writing for Sunday morning. That was a very Urban Meyer play call. They knew from film it would work if they got that defensive look. And when they went for it on that fourth down, Ryan Day said if they didn't like the defensive look, they would have called timeout and talked about it. They spread it out five wide. They got the man coverage, knowing if we get a block on the middle linebacker, it's over. And it was over. So... Like, 7 of 13 on third down is pretty good. And and I know that, like, you guys want to sling it around and stuff. But if you're comparing them to JT Barrett, it's like, oh, 
hey, they were doing that stuff like with JT Barrett, that guy who's like the winningest quarterback in Ohio State history, who was a tough SOB, who would do anything it takes to win and was like a super powerful runner for a quarterback. Like sometimes a JT Barrett comparison is a good thing. And again, it goes under the category of whatever it takes to win. And I thought some of that stuff was exactly what they needed. And sometimes against a team that has better talent, you've got to do some stuff like that. So again, I did not look out there and say, man, that third down play calling was super boring and terrible. Did you guys? No, and I, not really. And as it relates to protection, I also want to go back and look and see. Um, they played a lot of empty backfield tonight, I thought. Like more than I've seen them play maybe at any point this season. Uh, at least just off the top of my head. I, I, I don't like chart that out after every game. But um, I, I want to see how much of those what we thought were protection breakdowns are maybe happening when they had as the, the least protection they on the field at one. I mean, they were above average when it comes to third down percent, like conversions. So like, I mean, the only difference is like it was like, it looked differently, but it, it got the job. Then especially the first one that we, the one that you were talking about with Josh Myers would set up a touchdown. I mean, don't forget, don't forget to give Penn state some credit for, you know, being a good team that, you know, as, as a wise man once said, the other team practices all week too. Um, you know, if, if, if just, if just Penn state's execution is worth, two third down conversions and we're talking about the difference between nine and 13 and seven and 13 you're talking about the difference between a great night and just kind of an okay one and after, if this is the first time they've done it it seems like that was a reaction to like the pass protection in general it's like okay if he's gonna have to take off anywhere let's set up something where it's a designed run for him ohio state coming into this game led the country in third down yep. conversion rate at 58.5 their conversion rate today was 53.8 so like Against, again, maybe the best defense they play. And I just want to say, and this is the point I want to get to, I think most of the complaints or worries are would be attributed to the fact that Penn State is a real opponent. And it's not going to look like it looked against Maryland and Rutgers and Wisconsin and Northwestern and Michigan State and these teams that had good records but were fraudulent, fraudulent athletically when it comes to actually matching up with Ohio State. Ryan Day said it all week. We wrote about it. We talked about it. A talent-equated game. It doesn't mean that Penn State's talent is equal. It means it's good enough to push you. And if you saw things that you were like, well, why did they do that? Well, that didn't look great. Well, this looked clunk. Yes, right. So this is what it's going to start to look like. Now, I'll agree. If they played exactly like this, and I'll ask you guys this. If they played this exact game, do they beat Clemson or LSU today? No, because Clemson scores a touchdown on every single one of those turnovers, and so does LSU. And if you're punting back to Clemson up 21-7, Trevor Lawrence probably doesn't drop the first snap on no. first and 10 from the 11, right? So you you can't – but like a lot of the other stuff, Chase Young blowing people up and blowing stuff up in the backfield. That's going to happen. That's going to keep happening. J.K. Dobbins pounding the ball – and them picking up tough yards, that's going to keep happening against even good teams. A lot of that stuff, that the reasons they won, power run game, defense, that's still going to work against good teams. And a lot of the rest of it, Justin Fields being creative, making plays, making throws when he has to, it's going to be in a dome. This is going to be a team I think Ohio State would rather be in a dome than get it mucked up. Put these guys in a fast track against LSU and Clemson in a dome, they'll take their chances. But I, like, I just, you know... It's why I picked this game to be close. I just don't think you can expect every game to be a 24-point win. But you know what? If Justin Fields doesn't fumble on the goal line, this probably would have been a 24-point win. Yeah, I, it's why I, I 
today, more than anything, reinforced my belief that the toughest potential matchups for Ohio State in a postseason scenario <coughs> are teams like Clemson or even Georgia, teams that are demonstrably strong on defense. LSU is not demonstrably strong on defense. I think even as the way they played today, I think they might have been able to beat LSU because I think their offense would have been able to do more against LSU than they were able to do against Penn State. I think we definitely saw the Doug 9-3 and three offense today from the 206. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that would have been... Uh, yeah. um, we can get into this more next week because obviously we're going to be previewing Michigan a ton, but this is an important thing. Who should the Buckeyes root for next Saturday? Wisconsin or Minnesota? Wisconsin and Minnesota are going to play. Are those both those teams done today, or are they still playing? Wisconsin and Minnesota. Wisconsin is playing right now. It is up 24-17 on Purdue, I believe. Minnesota yes. won 38-22 over Northwestern. At Northwestern, yeah. Okay. Wisconsin's up by a touchdown with 12 minutes left in yeah. the third. So if Wisconsin wins, so that will set up that the winner of Minnesota-Wisconsin at Minnesota next week. Minnesota has one Big Ten loss. Wisconsin has two Big Ten losses. If Wisconsin beats Minnesota, they'll both have two Big Ten losses. Wisconsin would have the head-to-head win. They would win that tiebreaker. They would go to the Big Ten championship. So the winner of that game will play Ohio State for the Big Ten championship. This person's asking about the theory of hard to beat a good team twice. But certainly Minnesota is very different than Wisconsin. They are a team that can throw the ball. Probably the second best quarterback in the Big Ten with Tanner Morgan right now behind Justin Fields. Two of the very best receivers in the Big Ten. Who Who is the tougher matchup for Ohio State? Wisconsin a second time or Minnesota a first time? I Probably Minnesota a first time. And it's not necessarily because I think Minnesota is better than Wisconsin. In fact, I think Wisconsin's going to win that game next week. I just feel like some of the things you're talking about, they'll have maybe some offensive weapons. They're going to be dynamic on offense in a way that Wisconsin usually isn't and that we've already seen this year isn't against Ohio State. I mean, they were one-dimensional at best against Ohio State here. Um and, and also just the fact that it, it's an unknown. I mean, they know what they're going to get from Wisconsin and where I think Minnesota with P.J. Fleck, I think you, you would see just some interesting wrinkles out of that game. And, and Minnesota would maybe be playing with a, you know, the, nothing to lose kind of attitude. I suppose Wisconsin would be too. But they get to, like, take the lid off a little bit more in a way that I think Wisconsin would not. I'd rather play Wisconsin over Minnesota simply because of something Jeff Hoffman has talked about consistently, and that's, like, not giving up big plays. And because of how Minnesota plays versus how Wisconsin plays, Minnesota is more liable to get a big play against you while Wisconsin is just going to run it in between the tackles 85% of the game. I would like to correct this. The person was asking, sometimes it's tougher. Would it be tougher to beat Wisconsin a second time? They've played this Wisconsin team 10 times. Yeah. Because the Wisconsin team is the same team every year, and Wisconsin is 1-10 in 10 against Ohio State in the last 11. So – how tough has it been to play the same Wisconsin team over and over again for a decade? It's not that tough. I think they would smoke Wisconsin again, smoke them more than they smoke them here because indoor on a fast track, that's bad for Wisconsin, good for Ohio State. Minnesota, I think, is a tougher matchup. I don't know how good Tanner Morgan is. I don't know. I'm not sure his name's not Morgan Tanner. I don't know. I don't know if he has blonde hair, if he has red hair, if he's bald, if he's six three, if he's five one, if he's a hundred pounds, if he's four hundred pounds. I you he might is, be Tanner Morgan. He is five one, four hundred pounds. Five one, four hundred pounds. One of the best. It's one of the best stories in Big Ten. Nobody's writing. He the, is bald. He Tanner <laughs> Morgan is bald. That's the headline for this podcast. So like, I'm not going to pretend I know anything about him. He's super efficient. His numbers are super efficient. 
They have beaten teams throwing the ball. They've won a lot of close games. Let's not pretend that, like, Minnesota all of a sudden would be scary to Ohio State. But Wisconsin, to me, is just not at all scary to this Ohio State brand of football. So I think Minnesota would have to be the tougher matchup then. So, like, we don't know. This from the 843, this person is already using a red X instead of an M. In his question, he's already in the Michigan week. Was there any mention of Fields being injured for next week? Other people are asking about, what do we know about the Justin Fields injury from Luke in the 3-3-0? Ryan Day said he's good, right, Nathan? You put that post up. He said he's good. We don't really know any specifics, but he popped well, up and walked off. Right. I, I, so I'm, I want to be cautious about this somewhat. Like, Ryan Day said he was good. Um, that was before probably he's, I don't know if he had talked yet to anybody in the training staff. I don't know if the training staff had looked at Justin Fields. I mean, he obviously got up and jogged off. He seemed fine. I don't know if there's any reason to have great concern about him. I will say, and I know people don't like when I bring up Purdue stuff, but I'm going to bring you back to a couple years ago in the NCAA tournament. Purdue had a big kid named Isaac Haas that got knocked down and smacked his elbow. And we went in the locker room and talked to Isaac Haas at the game. He said, oh, yeah, I just bumped my elbow, made a big noise. Everything's okay. We all went back. We all went back and wrote stories about how, oh, this big goofball fell down. And then, like, after we post our stories, immediately we get a release that says he's out for the year with a fractured elbow. So, until there's, until all that diligence happens, I don't think you check anything off. And then, even with bumps and bruises, I think sometimes you wait till the next day to see how a guy feels. But I would imagine they'll, they'll, he and, and there's several guys on this team that I think they'll probably try to take it as easy as they can with, especially early this week, to get them back to um, some health. It seemed like the way he got up and, and walked off the field seemed like yeah, a good sign. I, I don't want to give people I don't want to give people any reason to think yeah. I think it's more serious than that. I'm just I'm I'm overly cautious sometimes because of situations like that that I've seen before. I think it's it's there are positive signs, but we're not signing off. And I don't really even know if Ryan Day totally was, but he's just saying nothing happened out there that like made them think he's seriously injured right now no but we also didn't get a chance to talk to him today and i overheard that he's talking about the reason why is because the trainer they just wanted the trainer to look at him a little bit more so we didn't get him today yeah if we have information we'll tell you but like if he if he didn't walk off under his own power or anything we'd be yeah. like doing a lot of uh work trying to figure this out i think we're fine jog. and not only that but he jogged off i do think you're right i think for just looking at the replay it's possible he, he just landed on the football now field. to be like because i was down there on the field i just happened to get down there and be walking by i saw like they were like warming up chug with josh myers getting them snaps together just in case they actually had to go out and play another series instead of just kneeling and i will say people are asking like whether you know could they if justin Fields, someone was asking about our quarterbacks Get hurt against Michigan a lot. What if Justin Fields gets hurt against Michigan? Listen, like it's over. You, it's over. Like if Chris, like Chug is just not good enough to get you where you want to go. It's not a Cardale situation. It's not a JT Barrett situation. It's not a Kenny Guyton situation. It would. We saw at times. I wrote about the power run game right after the game, and I thought it was effective. Now, thirty-five for one hundred and fifty is not a great yard per carry, and there were times when J.K. Dobbins absolutely got stuffed. But they pounded it against the wall enough times they eventually broke through. If Chug had to play, and I keep singularing him, people should like others like to plural him, Chugs. If Chugs had to play, there would be fourteen guys in the box at all times. They would sell out to stop the run. Chugs would not be a run threat. I don't think they would scare people down the field. Their receivers, again, are good. Chris Olave is really good. I don't think their receiving core is great. Their receiving core is not so elite that they're going to just lift any quarterback. You're, like, it's over. You know, like, I mean, maybe you squeak into the playoffs somehow. 
it, it's not going to happen. This is not a Cardale situation. Cardale was like a kind of a wild card, but Cardale could throw a ball through a brick wall and was like a big 6'5 guy who ended up trucking safeties. That's just not what we're talking about here. And it's not Chug's fault. He never expected to be in the situation where he was Ohio State's number two quarterback, and Ohio State never expected it either. So that's just the situation that they're in. We've known it from day one, and so we're not going to pretend that's not the situation now. Um, you okay? I'm trying to... Terry from Toronto. He just activated a sleeper cell. Yeah. New texter, longtime listener. Um... He's, he has a lot of things to say, but one of the things is he believed that winning the Heisman was impossible for Chase Young as a defensive guy, especially once he got the two-game suspension. It was definitely impossible. He doesn't think that anymore. He thinks it's back on the table. Ryan Day once again made—he didn't say Chase Young should win the Heisman. He said he should be in New York. That is making a case I think he should finish third. Um, being Getting to New York is a big deal. Dwayne Haskins got to New York. JT Barrett and Braxton Miller never got to New York. Um, do you think he had three sacks today in his return? He now is Ohio State's single-season sack leader. Do you think it's back on the table getting to New York, A, or any faint idea of winning it? So, go ahead, Nathan. Well, so he, he had three sacks, but he was in on like five or more like because he had some half sacks in there, too. So it wasn't just... I mean, the, the the three gets rounded off, but he was um, he was he was a force today. I don't think Ohio State maybe wins this game without him. So two things: one, well, I think Ohio State needs to make its mind up of which Heisman candidate they want to. get I think behind. they have. Well, I don't know because last yeah. week he he was saying the same things about Justin Fields being the Heisman candidate. He had those type of talks last week. Now, which I I yeah, I think Chase Young is it's it's still on the table for him to get to New York. I, he's not going to win the award. It's he, he missed two games. He was already on a up, uphill swing and like he uphill climb and him missing two games doesn't help his case. But I think it's I said this the moment he that he was back that he came back from the suspension that I think it's still possible for him to get to New York if he stayed at the pace he was on before he got suspended. Well, he stayed on that pace with three sacks a game. Let's not forget that narrative matters in these things sometimes. And Joe Burrow's narrative is kind of like, you know, all-American boy, um, gets a second chance to be a real quarterback in the in, in major college football and makes the most of it and lifts his team to another level. And Chase Young's narrative is, Everybody. right or wrong, he screwed up and cost himself two games in the middle of the season. Now, honestly, he didn't need him to win those games, but I think that narrative is going to affect him with enough voters that he can't win the award, and it may still affect him with enough that he can't get in the final. I think it's that also, like, the media, we're behind him 100%. Like, like I've written a Heisman story. Doug, you've written a Heisman story. Joe Clack comes out every time Chase Young does something and talks about how he deserves to be in New York. You saw Skip Bayless tweeting about it. LeBron James and J.J. Water in his corner about this point. That, that I think, plays a part in it a little bit as well. It's it like does. Every, this is the second time. Wisconsin was the same way, where, like, he was on a stage where everybody was going to be watching. And if he does something great, everybody's going to be talking about it. He did something great again, and we're all talking about it once again. So I think that that is his narrative, is twice when the world was going to be watching, he got everybody talking about yeah, it. Yeah, but in between those games, he Correct. was sitting here, that, yeah, not that, able to play because of a mistake yeah. he made. And I think there's enough fuddy-duddies involved with voting for the Heisman that that's going to be that's a, his a ad, Yeah, that's his adversity part, just like Joe Burrow has his. But, uh, like, but no, but that's the point. Joe, yeah. Joe Burrow's adversity was very different than Chase Young's adversity. Right, but it's still like enough. Like Chase Young created his adversity. Chase Young imposed adversity yeah. on this team. 
when he committed this NCAA violation. Now, we're getting right or wrong. You can think that the, the NCAA rule is BS, and that's fine. But he was the cause of it in a way that Joe Burrow wasn't. And Joe Burrow's been there for every game for his team this year. And so have several other players. I think, you know, I was a very, very strong advocate that the Heisman basically meant nothing at one point if Chase Young wasn't involved in possibly winning the whole thing. And now I would actually maybe have done 180 degrees. I totally understand why someone maybe wouldn't even put him on their ballot because of that factor. Joe Burrow's going to win, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless so, he really has no, some kind of a crisis. Yeah. So, I don't, so I, mm. honestly, and you've been doing the Heisman watch, Stephen. Who's second? Coming into this week, I had it as Justin Fields. I think two. Is, the problem is two is out. Two is out. Jalen Hurts. I, I think his numbers are there, but like Oklahoma is just like not winning at the rate. About Trevor. He's coming along. He's starting to play like the. I, I had him fourth this week. I think right. I, honestly, right now, if, if the season ended right now, I think it's. I think it's just uh, Joe Burrow's number one, Justin Fields is number two, and Trevor Lawrence is number three. Why do you think Justin Fields is the better Heisman candidate for Ohio State than Chase Young? Because he's the quarterback, and because like. The argument that's been made of like they can win games without Chase Young, they've shown that. I don't think they can win games without Justin Fields. I think that's argument. true, but Justin Fields fumbled twice today. Correct. Um, Chase Young had eleven sacks. I don't. He's fourth. I think he's fourth right now. I would be. I'll be very curious to see if they could get both guys there. That would be a very interesting thing. The context always matters. How many two was out between three and five? Uh, Look, and how up, many go? I'm not, I understand how many could go. How many go this year if you're putting two Ohio State guys in? I don't know. It That's, depends. Where yeah. the, I mean, it depends. Yeah, I think. Bu- split, I think it's. I think Burrow is going to end up being a runaway winner. Yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, I think if you asked almost every Heisman, but I'm not sure what the case is to not vote for Joe Burrow right now, because I think the only person because Joe Burrow is the best quarterback statistically, the way he's lifted his team. And and how he's valuable, the types of games he's won. If you're voting for a quarterback, he's the best quarterback. So if you're not voting for Joe Burrow, you're voting for something different. I don't think you would just say, well, I just like Trevor Lawrence better than Joe Burrow. I don't know that there's a case for that. Well, remind me again, is it a first, second, third? First, second, third. So I think think you're going to get a scenario here where most of the ballots that don't vote Joe Burrow first, a a big percentage of those could vote Chase Young first. But there's going to be a big percentage of ballots that don't have Chase Young at all. I think that is exactly right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's going to be – so then it's like, well, who's third? So it's like Justin's in that mix. Chase, I bet, will end up with more first-place votes than Justin. But Justin we'll could end votes. up with more points than Chase. Yeah. It's a 5-3-1 point thing. But that five, you get five points for first. That's a lot. I think it could end up in a scenario where it's like Joe Burrow's the runaway winner. But Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence – Chase Young and Jalen Hurts also go to New York. And character is one of the that's not yeah is one of the principles of the award, right? Correct. Like that's something you're supposed to factor in. Again, I think, and I don't think Chase Young is a bad character person, but I think there's enough people who are going to see this suspension as a ding in that area and are not even going to put him on the ballot I'm not, at all. Yeah, I'm not against the scenario, Doug. You just pointed out we're all those four are the guys who end up going. Yeah, because they're all like kind of close in the yeah. mix. That, but like Burroughs, thousands of points ahead of them. They just invite based on like sort of where a natural dividing line falls. Yeah, but I mean, you're also, I mean, 
you only vote for three, and there's going to be some people who throw a third-place vote to Tua because of everything he did in his career. There's going to be people who are still voting Trevor Lawrence yeah. in the top three. There's going to be people on the West Coast who like Herbert from Oregon and the season he's had. And they're coming on strong and could be in the mix for a, a top four. Uh, but I, but I will say that the one thing is I think Chase is the best, even despite the suspension, I think Chase is the best non-quarterback candidate. I, I think Easily. I would still vote Chase Young number one, but I, I, I understand more now than ever why I, I could almost sympathize, not sympathize, but excuse people who, who don't vote for him again because he kind of violated one of the principles of the award. I don't even know who the second best non-quarterback. Maybe Chuba from Oklahoma State Probably. who leads the nation in rushing. It might be Oklahoma. J.K. I mean, it might, it's not Jonathan Taylor. No, not even, no, not even close. So, but again, there's, there's going to be people it's who between vote, Chuba be people who vote for Jonathan Taylor. For not anybody else. I mean, it's, be, it's between Chuba and J.K. and both of those guys have been like honorable mention on the watch. If you vote for Jonathan Taylor, your vote should be rescinded. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. I don't, a lot I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. I'm looking at what what is and not what should be. And what is is that the Heisman does have some um, nostalgia and some beauty pageant rolled into it. There's just a lot of people, and like you got a lot of people, you get a lot of yeah. opinions. This is good. That was a good Heisman discussion because we can have that again. Big Ten Championship Week. Midweek this week, we're going to really, really, really hit on Michigan, 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 obviously. Then the ballots are due the Monday after championship weekend. So Ohio State is going to Indianapolis. We know that. We will be covering that. That will be a big deal. A lot of playoff stuff on the line. But we'll come back to a Heisman conversation before that because there's going to be a lot of stuff um, that's going to matter with that. We're going to wrap this up soon. Um, Let's see. Not as much of a question as a statement from the 937 I'm very proud for. Uh, and ha- proud of and happy for Justin Hilliard. After all his injuries to get on the field and make big plays, can you think of any similar circumstances for a player at Ohio State? Maybe Lattimore from the class before. Um, I mean, Marshawn was different. Justin Hilliard, Marshawn Lattimore had hamstring injuries, and then when he when he got healthy, he was like the best cornerback in college football and was the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Justin Hilliard is not good enough with the injuries he's had um, – and the time he's missed, he's not good enough to be a starter for Ohio State, but he's good enough to be their fourth linebacker, and they played four linebackers a decent amount of the time today. Um, you know, it's a great story. I, like, I don't want to overemphasize it too much. Everybody emphasized it. Ryan Day talked about it. We're going to write about it. Jeff Halfley talked about it. Like, Levis, that Penn State quarterback dude, like, threw a pass while his tight end was blocking, and it hit Justin Hilliard in the numbers, and he caught it. I mean, it wasn't some... Game change. I mean, like, he, you have to be there and catch it. I get it. Um, he was in the right place at the right time, and the fact that he's found any role on this team is great. Yes, agree with everything. It's not like Justin Hilliard won in the game. And well, there have been some emotional stories sometimes of yeah. guys who, like, actually win you games. It, his, his narrative is neat just because, again, he, everything he's had to overcome. Um, he wasn't on the list of guys who went through senior day because we assume he's going to try to get a sixth season of competition based because of those injuries he's gone through. Um, there, you know, there's a process that that involves, and you know, we'll see how that goes. I think he'll get it. He's I, torn both biceps and like really missed a lot of time. Yeah, so I, I think he's probably a good candidate, but the, not to say for sure. But I mean, that that's what kind of makes it a, a, a neat story today. Was that a guy who should have been going through senior day, maybe as a guy who you're just thinking about, oh, what if, and he never really made that much yeah. of an impact, is still in there. 
making that interception in the most crucial game and of the al- season. And also in two, like, uh, probably Ohio State's biggest games this season, he made plays. Because he yeah. made plays against Wisconsin as well. So, like, when they're going to four linebackers, it's not like he's just out there, just, like, out there. He's making plays. And he reminds me a little bit of Curtis Grant. Curtis Grant didn't have the injury thing, but he was a five-star. Both of them were, like, five-star guys. Mm-hmm. Um who didn't really do much until their senior year, Curtis, because he kind of didn't really click in. Uh, and then he had a role on the national championship team as a fifth-year senior, sharing that with Raekwon McMillan. Hill- Hilliard has found a role. So in a world where so many guys transfer, he easily could have transferred. I think you have to give a nod to guys who stick it out. I think fans do appreciate that. But again, you know, just a little context of like, it, it was a very nice play, um, you know, he was in the right place at the right time. When you're in the right place at the right time, you got to do your job. But he's not out there diving, making diving interceptions. Now I sound negative. I don't mean to sound negative. The other thing is, you guys know that biceps is singular, right? That it's not your bicep muscle. It is your biceps. So to say like, my biceps hurt can mean singular. Don't get caught in trying to take the S off because the word itself has an S. But what if both hurt? Then it's biceps says. Um, we're almost out of room here. We have like a million questions again. We have 107 questions now. Nathan, did you not approve of that conversation? <laughs> that, that 15 um, seconds of wasted time was brought to you by WebMD. <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's finish with, I'm trying to think. Why didn't Ryan Day kick the damn field goal? Why risk fields? Make it a two TD game. Tyler B in the nine three seven. People at the end. Ryan Day didn't want to kick the field goal. They got a field goal blocked in two thousand sixteen at Penn State. Got returned for a touchdown. That's how they lost that game. He didn't want to kick a long field goal, low trajectory. I don't know why they didn't just run it. I do. Some people were, did not like that that play call at the end. I do in the end think it was a little bit of a whacked play call to even put Justin Fields in that situation. And if he had done something serious to himself right there. Like, you would never forget that. Yeah, I would be the Tua scenario all over again. I was literally walking onto the field when it happened. Like I said, I didn't know what happened. I just saw, like, he was laying on the ground. And, like, I go, what happened? And, like, all I hear is fans just, Ryan Day, why would you put Justin Fields in that situation? But, yeah, like, some of the, like, you said it earlier. Like, when you know you have a quarterback who's not going to throw the ball away, who's going to try to make a play, don't put him in a position where he's not going to throw the ball away and try to make a play. Yeah, I mean, he is who he is. We, we have to, um, you have to account for the guy that has shown who he is. It's still a teachable moment for Justin Fields, too, though. I mean, that's that's going to come up this week. Like, you know, I put you in this situation expecting True. you to do this. You didn't do it. It almost cost us and you. You've got to do that next time. You've got to. You still have, Justin Fields still has to get better at knowing when to throw the ball away. And that sounds like a conversation they have had every single week. Well, it, it's not working. It's not. Well, but and again, it's. I will defend not to some extent. Yeah, not no. pounding the playmaker out of him. Yeah, correct. It's just correct. right there. You didn't really need a play, right? But that's but again, that's that comes down to knowing you know game scenario, game yeah. juncture, and when you need to do certain things. It's kind of like we were talking earlier in the game about he made a pass to to Ben Victor that was a really high pass, but Ben Victor's really tall, so he could make that catch. And I'm thinking, of, I thought out loud at the time, I'm like, oh, how do you as a quarterback when you're out on the field? And I know you know who's where, but like to have the wherewithal to know, oh, I can throw this pass a little bit higher maybe mm-hmm. than I can throw it if it was over here because I'm throwing to Ben Victor. And you got to make those snap decisions. He's really good at making decisions like that. He's just got to get a little bit better at knowing when to waste. That's it. football IQ. More yeah. than anything else. I, and I do believe for a guy who we have all said from the get-go has been like in complete control of this and has made so few mistakes and has turned the ball over so few times, like if that's the last area where there could be some growth, 
the decision-making in moments when he's trying to make a play and getting him to pull back at the right time but still be willing to take the risk at the right time. If that's where the last bit of growth is, I get it. That's a good place to have it Um, because there still are going to be times. And I bet like 2020, I bet you – that's going to be like our storyline. Like he's going to come out and play a certain way in 2020. And we're going to be like, hey, Justin, it seems like last year that's a place where you would have taken a sack. And he's going to be like, yeah, I looked at my film and I realized I was taking too many risks. I have a better understanding now. You know how this stuff works. Of course we're going to write that story a year from now. I'm okay with it. Like even though it put him at risk physically in this moment, I think there might be a moment against Oregon in the semifinal where that exact same instinct is going to score Ohio State a touchdown that they need at an important that's time. His, well, I think we've already seen I that. I think, like, to, that's what Garrett, that's Garrett Wilson's punt return, where it's like a high risk but a high reward situation. We've seen, <coughs> Last, go ahead. We've seen Garrett Wilson have 45-yard t- punt returns, but we've also seen him fumble it because he takes off before he, before he has a catch. We'll finish with this one from the 216. Again, a lot of the questions are sort of in a similar vein, wondering about the fumbles, wondering about – um, the conservative play calling, wondering about what all this means going forward. This is the last question about going forward. From the 216, how much should we worry about the fumbles going forward? Just the rain or a major concern? The game would have been a blowout if they held on to the ball. I don't feel like this has been a sloppy team. JK put it on the ground in week one. It hasn't, and this is the oh, second time he's done it. So, so it's uh, not. I have not. I didn't actually not see a replay of that. I don't know if someone put a helmet on the ball or whatever that might have been. It looked like he was trying to spin, and like he like spun wild with the ball kind of out, and so it was easy for that him was to the pop. fumble against FAU too. Yeah, where like he's like spinning, and if you like get popped while you're spinning, and it's just kind of wild out there, it might pop up. And in most situations, the worst possible thing happened. And I, I didn't feel like the Justin Fields stuff was like being loose with the ball or sloppy. Again, he's diving for a touchdown and a guy dives at him. And then the other one, again, was an absolutely great play. Justin Fields going down, and I feel like the Penn State guy like pulled out it twice to really try and get that thing out of there. Um, and he got it out like on the second pull. And when a guy's in there, you got multiple guys around you, and they're yanking at the ball. That stuff happens sometimes. So three turnovers, three fumbles that you lose in the game. The worst fumble for Justin Fields was the last one that he got back on the play that he almost got hurt on. Yeah. He fumbled that. And that was like just kind of running on fourth down with the guy chasing you. That one I thought was the loosest play. Um, I didn't think this was Ohio State looking like they were careless with the ball. Sometimes stuff happens. And again, I bet you Tony Alford's going to tell J.K. Dobbins to chill it with the spin moves. But, no. but sometimes spin moves gain you yards. I, I think like he's just got to be protective with the ball because he had another spin move where like two like defenders tried to tackle him and he spun his way out of it. So like it's, it's, that's not a high risk, high reward. It's just, hey, if you're going to spin, I don't care. Spin all you want. Tuck the ball in and don't have it out there where it can pop out. And I don't feel like two fumbles in 11 games is like a, no. a terrible ratio. Yeah, that's, that's fine. So um, I thought they played to win whatever it took. Um, I think it proved. I think the final point, I think I've been saying I want to make this point, and I'm not sure I made it. I think if you thought through the first 10 games that Ohio State was invincible, I think this showed you that they weren't invincible. Or even through the first 10 minutes of this game, too. Yeah, right. That that if you thought they were going to like roll over everybody in the playoff, too, I think this just showed that, you know what? When they play a good team, there's going to be some stuff. Like they stacked up JK a couple times today. You know, Justin didn't throw it all over the yard. 
Penn State had that one good drive with the zone read with the running quarterback. There's some stuff that teams are going to be able to do against them. So I think it's a reminder for everybody that it's not going to be easy, but I don't think it should be a reminder that you don't think they're going to do it. They still absolutely are on track for a national championship. If the season ended today, I still think they would be the favorite to win the national championship. Michigan's going to be a real game. I think they're going to, they got reminded that it's not going to be easy, but I think Michigan is playing well lately. Um, I think Michigan in its own way can be a tougher opponent than Penn State. They certainly are going to have more guys on the outside that can hurt you with Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins and some other people. They'll be more of a threat. Shea Patterson's going to be more of a threat throwing the ball than Sean Clifford was. It's going to be on the road. This is going to be everything for Michigan. Um, certainly Ohio State's not going to, I couldn't ever look past Michigan, but I would expect next week to be a game too, but that's just where we are. They're not invincible. They're still excellent. Um, they're still on path for a, for a national championship, but it's not going to be easy. Michigan week is a big week. Make sure you're listening, reading, watching the videos. We appreciate you guys. Thanks again to everybody who came out um, for the tech subscriber meetup. Maybe we'll try to do something. I'm thinking maybe like on a Friday night in Indy, the night before the game, more like, hey, we're going to be at this bar. If you guys want to swing by or something like that, we'll try to see if we can put something like that together for people who are thinking of going to Indianapolis. Um, we always appreciate you guys uh, reaching out. Again, more than 100 questions after a game like this on short notice. We certainly take note of that and know that you guys are invested. So for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Lay Maurice. Buckeyes beat Penn State 28-17. We'll catch you Wednesday for our midweek one on Michigan. And that was Buckeye Talk.